And today we see that Jesus came to save the world. And what I love about this idea and what we've said that Christmas is sort of like a diamond. And that if you hold a single diamond up to the light, you actually get many different colors from one single stone. And I love the idea that there's not really one succinct statement that you can say as to why Jesus came, but rather it's almost like this profound mystery that God became a man. But what's sort of tough this time of year, and especially being a pastor and teaching the scriptures, is Christmas sort of gets hijacked in the Hallmark and Lifetime things. And some of you ladies have the Hallmark app, and you've recorded all the movies, and it's taken up all the space on the DVR. Now I can't record the game, and all types of stuff, right? And so this time of year, um, it's difficult to to remind us um, that really Christmas isn't a legend, And what I mean by legend is sometimes by default it gets swept away in the Bigfoot theory or things like that or the Loch Ness Monster, if you will, or my favorite Bigfoot riding the Loch Ness Monster, you know, just epic legend and myth. But really when it comes down to this time of year, it's it's not a legend and it's, it's not a myth. And primarily, we understand that from the actual writings and the stories themselves. Because we've grown so familiar with the Christmas story and the certain Bible verses and texts that explain it, we gloss over a number of things. But the way the writers and the gospel writers actually record these statements separates it from myth and legend. One author put it this way, if Christmas is just a nice legend, in a sense, you're still on your own. But if Christmas is actually true, and the Apostle John says that it absolutely is true, then you can actually be saved. Oh man, now that puts something on an entirely different level. Because if it's just a legend, then the reality is is that there's no hope for you, there's no hope for your marriage, there's no hope for the darkness, there's no hope for any of that. You still have to work hard and pull yourself up by your bootstraps in order to do this. You're on your own. But if it's not a legend and if it's not a myth and it's actually good news, then it's a news that we have to pay attention to. And so my argument today in the thesis is very simple and it's this. Jesus came to show us that the Christmas, that the story and message of Christmas is true and that you can actually trust it. That the message and the story of Christmas is true. It is not, it is not folklore, it is not legend, it is not myth. It's true and if it is true, then you can bank your life on this message. And there's three primary ways that we see this from the single verse in 1 John um, 4.14. And what we're going to see is is that Christmas is historical, that it's experiential, and that it's supernatural. The first thing that we see in the verse is this, that Christmas is historical. In 1 John 4.14, look at your Bible and it says this, And we have seen, we have seen with our own eyes. Now, a little bit of background on the Apostle John. Maybe you didn't grow up in church. That's awesome. That's great. Um, We're glad that you're here today. I'll see you again at Easter, and it'll be a great time, and we'll have a blast, okay? What? What? I'm not, you know what I'm saying? i got to just make the statement, okay? But what John is saying is John walked with Jesus. He was a part of Jesus' disciples. And he's saying, listen, this isn't legend. I've seen this. 
I, I know this to be true. And he actually opens up his letter in 1 John and says this, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our own hands concerning the word of life. Now, listen, that's a profound statement. What the Apostle John is saying is, um, yeah, remember that time um, Jesus fed the 5,000 people with a Lunchable? Yeah, I, I was there. Um, I, I ate some of that food. Remember that time that Jesus healed the blind man? I was there. The guy was blind. Remember that time that Jesus healed the crippled person and the guys ripped open the roof and they came in and then Jesus said, because of the faith of your friends, that guy got up and walked. He came in on a stretcher and he left doing the moonwalk. This is legit. We have seen this. So now we, as people, have to reconcile that message. But there's still more. Even consider Luke chapter 2, the Christmas story. Many of you like my family, we'll read this story before we open presents and have a great time. But look at what Luke says. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Now, what's important about that? Luke is anchoring the birth of Jesus Christ during real historical events. When he says that it's during when the Caesar Augustus did the census, that's a real thing. We can go back and check, was there a guy named Caesar Augustus? Yep, check. Did he actually do a census? Yes, check. But to narrow it down, where was this at? It was around in Syria when Quirinius was the governor. And we have archaeological facts that prove and show that there was a man who was governor named Quirinius. So what do we do with this? John is saying this. You can't get all cozy and warm at Christmas time and read this story and think to yourself, wow, that makes me feel good, and then put it away with the Christmas lights and the tree. What he's saying is, if this is true, then you have to deal with this. So theologians call this apostolic witness. What's important about this is, what John is saying is, I was there, I am an apostle. And he's a witness to these events, but not just John, but also the other disciples as well. And so when you come and read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John... You're not reading myth and legend and folklore. You are reading the eyewitness accounts of people that were actually there. But I know what I have to do. Um, It's 2018, and you have a smartphone in your pocket that we do a lot of dumb stuff with, with our smart technology. And oftentimes, maybe you're not a Christian or maybe you're peeking over the fence, is always the attack on the Scriptures, Well, how can we trust that those are true? Sure, it's an eyewitness account, but it happened so long ago. And if they write it down, of course, it's going to change over the years and all of that. Well, what's interesting is I showed this graph every once in a while. But when it comes to historical documents, the word is called attested. And many scholars gather around and there are a number of facts that they look at to see if this was written around the time and if it was actually written 
by someone that experienced those events. And so just when it comes to um, secular literature, um, Homer's Iliad, right? Maybe you had to read that in high school or college, and if you can't sleep at night, I would highly suggest that you read that and you'll fall right asleep. But most scholars think that it was written about 900 B.C. before Christ. The earliest copy that we have was around 400 B.C. That's a 500-year span, and the original copies that we actually have are about 643. But if you drop down in Plato, who was a philosopher, he apparently didn't have a day job and sat around and thought about stuff all day, but he wrote uh, in between 427 to 347 B.C. The earliest copy that we have is around 900 A.D. That's a 12 hundred years span and do you know how many copies we've got seven I've never heard a professor stand up and say well you know this is Plato's writings and we're not really sure if Plato wrote this because a bunch of people probably changed it through the years that's very poor evidence But when you come to the New Testament, and not just the New Testament, but the gospel accounts themselves, most scholars, some of the earliest writings that we have are around 50 A.D. That's not even maybe 20 or 30 years after the events happened. And listen, you got to understand, this is ancient time. They didn't have an iPad, right? They didn't Instagram and Snapchat. Man, Jesus just raised a guy from the dead. That was sick, right? They didn't have any of that. So if it didn't get written down in enough time span, that lowered the attested truthfulness of the document. So the portions that we have in the entire New Testament, the time span goes from 29 to only 100 years after those events. And the amount of documents that we have are around 5,800. Now, listen, I'm trying to go logical with you to show you this. But how do we bridge the gap from head knowledge to our heart and to our hands? Why does this matter? The first reason why this matters, that Christmas is historical, means that you can trust this message. That you can trust this message whether it comes to the understanding of this being a historical figure, did you know that nobody, nobody contests that there was a man over in the Middle East that lived during that time span by the name of Jesus of Nazareth that caused a pretty big uh, ruckus over there, if you will. Nobody denies that. And even when it comes to his crucifixion, that's historically documented. And then it all comes down to the resurrection if that dude really rose from the grave. Do you see that you can actually trust this? You can use your mind. Just because it's Christmas and just because it's Christianity, we don't have to opt out of actually studying and understand this. But if the message is true, then that leads us to this. That means that you can't change the message. And that's where the rubber meets the road. Because we love unto you in the city of David, today, there's a Savior born, Christ our Lord. Charlie Brown, that's beautiful, man. We love that, right? But then when it talks about saving people from their sins, and that this baby is actually the Emmanuel, God wrapped in human flesh, that changes everything. So I would argue with you today, you can't opt out of this. When you leave here today, you have to reconcile something in your mind. 
if this is true, then I need to test this. And if it's true, I can't change this message to adapt to my life, but rather my life changes in light of this good news. But the last thing that we understand is this. We can know that God is working in the ordinary. All of this that in the region and... um, Quinerius and Caesar Augustus and born in a stable and all of that, we glam that up at Christmas time. That's very ordinary. That's not like God, like it would have been really cool if God came and the skies split and God said, I'm coming like as a lion or I'm coming as a sword. Like that would be cool. I'm going to come like Thor did with the hammer and the thing and does the thing. And like that would be fantastic. And we would love that. And that would appeal to our human emotions. But rather God comes as a baby to show us, listen, don't miss this, to show us that there's extraordinary things in the ordinary, mundane things in your life. Listen, most of us, our lives are not Instagrammable. And even if they are, they've been cropped, edited, and put through filters and everything like that. And we wake up on Monday and we go to work and we still have the marriage and we still have the kids and we have all of that. And we ask ourselves, can God actually do something in my life? And listen, I've come to tell you good news today. The answer is yes. Yes. So please don't make an idol of the epic things in life. Those moments come, yes, but most of the time God is found most personal, most personal to you in the ordinary mundane things of life. Christmas is historical. We have seen. But the second thing is this, is that Christmas is is experiential. Like we can actually know this. John says, and we have seen and testify. So now he's just turned up the volume a little bit. He's like, yep, I was there. I saw that. Which, by the way, back then, what you were doing, you were footnoting. So many of you went to college and wrote papers and did things like that. And what did you have to do? You had to cite your sources. Where did you get that from? When John says that I have seen this, back then they could go to John, whether it was the government, the Roman government that was opposed to this message or anyone. And John is risking his life when he says, I have seen this. And we know from history that John was um, attempted to be boiled alive by the Roman government. Because he did not claim Caesar to be king, but rather Christ. And oh yeah, the whole boiling alive, that didn't work out well and he didn't die. All right, can you imagine that? Like, what are we going to do with this guy? We just boiled him alive and he's still alive, right? And we can't put him in jail because when we put these guys in jail, they sing hymns and stuff. And then they're in jail singing hymns and they're like, that's fine, put us in jail and we're going to make all the guards like be saved and become Christians. And like, they're like, we don't know what to do. And so John was banished to the island of Patmos where he wrote the book of Revelation. We have seen this, but now John says, we testify to it. I haven't just seen this. I've, I've experienced this. This is not just something that, that I know. Here it is. Christianity isn't just a truth to know, but it's a life that you live. And God forgive us of all of the Bible studies and all of the word studies and all of the Beth Moore and all of that. That's awesome and that's great. Praise God for that. Love Beth. She can preach better than most men. But listen to me and look up here. You don't need to do another Bible study until you've applied the knowledge that you already know. 
So it's not just up here. It's not just debating on Facebook. It's not just historical evidence. It's not just up here because some of the most dangerous people that I know know so much Bible up here, but it's never transferred and dropped into their hearts. And what John is saying is we, we testify to this, that my life revolves around this. But I know what some of you are asking. You're arguing with the preacher, and that's okay. I came prepared today. That's all right. Jason, how do I experience this? Because what we end up doing is we idolize the experience. So whether it's the camp high or the Sunday church service or the worship song or this or that, and we say, I feel and experience God here, but I don't anywhere else. And the reason is, is because we're not going about it right. There is a man who had a profound impact on my life and is actually the founder of the Methodist movement, John Wesley. And him and his brother Charles wrote a ton of the Christmas hymns that we sing every year. But John Wesley, um, borrowing from his Anglican roots to, for people to experience God, came up with what is known as the Wesleyan quadrilateral. And yes, I just said that on the Christmas service today, okay? And basically what it is is like a four-legged stool. And here's what John Wesley says is how we experience God. The first thing is the Scriptures, That if God has revealed himself and we can attest that these are true, then we have to come here first. Not kumbaya and lighting candles and swaying like a tree in the wind and feeling all the warm and fuzzies because you're a little precious snowflake, okay? We don't start there first. If God has said something, then we need to know what it is. It's scripture, but then it's not just scripture, then it's also tradition, Did you know that we can actually look back and see what the early church, the apostles, and the councils believed about things? That we're not a tumbleweed in the wind when it comes to contemporary issues and the church is always like, oh no, what are we going to do about this? How do we feel about this? We can actually know what the apostolic witness is. So we have scripture, but not in isolation. We link arms with those who have gone before us. Scripture, tradition, and then reason. Listen, you can use your mind. How crazy of a thought is that? We need so much more of that rather than the cliche Christian response of, well, just pray about it. Just pray. Just pray. Really? That's what you've got? Like, test this. Test to see that if the, and listen, I would argue, please argue with me that if you are not a believer, what is a better worldview other than Christianity? Like, Jesus wasn't crucified for helping the poor. Like, who's mad about that? He just fed a bunch of homeless people. Crucify him, right? Nope. Or how about like loving people that are in the margins of society or having sacrificial love in your life or living not with the absence of restriction but rather submitting yourself to something outside of you. Listen, you have to have a worldview. What are you teaching your kids? What do you do when you turn on the news and see the turmoil of everything? If it's not this worldview, what is your worldview? Reason. And then we enter into experience. And do you know, do you know how often I've experienced just supernatural, the presence of God, mountaintop experiences? I could probably count on one hand. But oftentimes, every time, when I step out in obedience 
as to what God has said, I've experienced him every time. Every time. And many of you are there. God is asking you to do something in your life with your marriage, with your kids, with your job, with your finances. And what you are wanting is an explanation. And then you'll step out and go, okay, I see all of that. But that's not how God works. Listen, Christmas time tells us this. God did not give us a logical answer. God gave us a person. He gave us Christ. And in the obedience to Christ's commands, when we step out, that's when we experience the everyday extraordinary power of God. It's through the scriptures. It's through tradition. It's through using our minds. And then from our minds and our heart, it moves to our hands. That's what's profound. Christianity is not just a truth to know. It's a life to live. But there's also a second implication. It means that your life is not a biography. It is a testimony. John says we testify. You know the difference in a testimony and a biography. So um, I I love biographies. I'm currently reading uh, Dr. Martin Luther King's autobiography. I love biographies. And this book is about Dr. Martin Luther King and what he accomplished and the history and from Spurgeon to Whitfield or anything like that. A biography is about what the person has accomplished. A testimony is about what Jesus accomplished for you. And many of us in here today are living our lives as if we are writing a biography about what we are doing, about how we are going to retire, about how we're going to do this with the kids. And all those things are great. But listen, the Christian life and Christmas signifies that it's not about you. But John says that we testify to this. And do you know the root word of what he says to testify? Do you know the root word of what testimony is? Many of you have been in a church service where there's been a time of testimony where people have stood up. And if we passed the microphone in here today, we would hear so many different stories about what Jesus has done in people's lives. The root word for the word testimony is martyros, which is where we get the word martyr from. And Christmas tells us this through the Apostle John. That Christianity is the only worldview, and it's the only thing that can promise you in the midst of suffering. Listen, man, I've been in the game a long time. I know what Christmas does. For a lot of you, it brings up turmoil and family conflict, and somebody's not going to be around that table, and somebody is going to be around that table, and there is much suffering in your life. But what Christmas says is, is that there's hope amidst the suffering. That when we are suffering and when we are going through the pain and agony of life, that that's the vehicle that God uses to get the good news and the message across. See, listen, suffering, suffering does not take us from our joy, but Christmas tells us that suffering actually can take you to it. So listen, I beckon you and plead with you today, whatever hard decisions you're making in your life and whatever you're looking at in 2019, don't give up. Don't give up. Please keep going and keep making it through and keep with the disciplines and keep praying for those babies and keep praying for your marriage and keep working hard and keep doing all of that because in the midst of all of that, God is doing something in your life. And there's a hundred people, there's a thousand people that are looking at you and watching you that you have no idea about. And your life, as one author has said, is the only Bible that some people will ever read. 
And John said, for us as Christians, it's not just a truth to know, it's a life to live. But because it's a life to live, it's not about us, it's about Christ. You see, Christmas is historical. We can go there. Christmas is experiential. We can know this. We can experience this. But the last thing is, is that we can't avoid, is that Christmas is supernatural. We can't explain it all away. You see what John says, and we have seen and testified. Now here it is, that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Listen, we're not ashamed that this is a supernatural message. I mean, hello, the message is is that a virgin had a baby. Oh, I'll go there. Do I need to go there? No? Okay, all right. I'm just saying, we can't move past a lot of this stuff. And listen, oftentimes we beg for explanations, and we can go there to an extent, but you cannot fit the message of Christmas and the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit into a nice little box and put a bow on it for you in your life. If you could, then God would cease to be God. The very definition of God being God is that we can't explain some of those aspects. And think about Christmas. What was it like when that baby came and Mary and Joseph are there and the angels have come and then the shepherds come later and all of this? And it's Emmanuel that all of the prophets, that when Micah, that when Jeremiah, that when everybody said God's coming and he's going to fix this and he's going to do all of this and he's going to save the world and there that baby is the representation of that. What does that mean? That means that the infinite became finite and that God became vulnerable. Charles Spurgeon put it this way, infinite and yet an infant eternal and yet born of a woman, almighty and yet hanging on a woman's breast, supporting a universe and yet needing to be carried in a mother's arms, kings of angels and yet the reputed son of Joseph, heir of all things and yet the carpenter's despised son. Oh my, the wonder of Christmas. The wonder of Christmas. So what are you supposed to do with this? The wonder of Christmas leads us to worship Jesus. And before you do anything, before you apply and before those resolutions and before all this and that, we simply just need to do what Mary did. The beautiful verse, when everything has happened, and Luke gives us an insight and it says, but Mary treasured up all these things pondering them in her heart. Listen, here's the good news about Christianity. Look up here. The good news about Christianity is not behave. The good news of Christianity is not behave and get your life together. Rather, the good news of Christianity is behold. It's not behave, it's behold. Just look at Jesus. Just love Jesus. Just worship Jesus. And in that, something happens. And what we behold, we become. And so many of us are beholding our family, beholding money, beholding success, beholding safety, all of those things. And we realize at the end of the day, that cannot complete me. But rather, when we behold Christ, we become like him. And so what are we beholding this Advent season? We are pondering and treasuring that the Son of God came to take away sin. 
that the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil, that the Son of God came to give us life, that the Son of God came to reveal God's love and to be the Savior of the world. The band's going to come up and lead us in a time of response, but listen, today, this is the truth, that Jesus came to show us and reveal to us that the message of Christmas is true. It's not a legend. It's not a folklore. It's not for you just to feel warm and cozy and tidy and then put it away with all the Christmas decorations. It's so much better than that. It can go with you into the darkness and into the heartache. And many of you have come into this place today feeling like there's no way it can be true for me. It can be true for you. It may be true for other people, but you don't know what I've done. You see, I'm from a small town. And when people see me checking out at Walmart or things like that, I can see the look in their eye. And they know my family. They know me. And I've come to tell you, you're right. You've made mistakes. You've failed. Merry Christmas. You're a failure. <laughs> and the good news of Christmas is that God approaches you anyway. You see, Christianity is the only religion and worldview in the world where you did not have to make your way up to find God. Rather, God made his way to find you. Some of you have been running for a long time. Long time. I've come to tell you today there's good news in tapping out. You can rest. You're so exhausted. Today, just behold. Look at the good news of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we're so thankful that we can know that this message is true. That we can trust it and give our life to it. God, may you raise our minds and our hearts to a whole new level, that it's not just myth and legend, but rather today we have to reconcile with this message. That you came, that Jesus Christ is not a way to God, that Jesus is God, that he made his way to us. May we sing and may we do what Mary did, ponder these things in our heart and treasure it. And behold the beauty of Jesus Christ. Father, we love you and we pray this all in the beautiful, the majestic, the eternal name of Jesus Christ. Amen.